Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, the show that navigates the pre-crisis DC Comics multiverse and explores the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Steve Higgins. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Steve Higgins, you cry? Yes. Steve has been on the show before. You may remember him from his stellar appearance as Jimmy Olsen or Uncle Sam in the recent Freedom Fighters epic. This is the second episode that Steve has recorded with me because Peter is under the weather. And we've done the big whole explanation about that in in this other episode, but that's not going to be out for about another month. So we'll just crack on with things. After our fill-in episodes when Logan helped us out with chatting about Robin Hood and Genghis Khan, we are attempting to get back onto the properly organised and planned schedule in that we are covering Batman issue 253, which was published on the 23rd of August 1973, a mere three weeks after Justice League of America 108, the last chronological comic that we actually covered. So since we did, obviously, JLA 108, we've had a Freedom Fighters wrap-up, a review of the year, our Hogmanay special, two weeks of omnibus repeats, and two weeks of emergency time travel stories as we scrambled to figure out what we're doing whilst Peter's laryngitis wrecked our plans. So, Peter, (laughs) we hope you're on the mend, don't we, Steve? Yes, very much so. I hope you uh, are feeling better soon. So... Batman 253 is a very significant one because it features the first DC Comics appearance alongside a proper DC superhero of a character called The Shadow. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Only The Shadow knows. Now, The Shadow, whilst technically not a superhero, did appear in comics, has a long publishing history. And in the spirit of us doing the episode where we brought in Captain Strong, who was a Popeye analogue, we are doing this issue of Batman because The Shadow is a character who casts, if you pardon the terrible, not even a pun, casts a long shadow with the measure of his influence. You know, obviously his influence on DC characters like Crimson Avenger and the Sandman is readily obvious. He has a long publishing history, which I will touch on briefly, cribbed from Wikipedia. The shadow was created by Walter B. Gibson and first appeared as the host of a radio show called Detective Story Hour, which was first broadcast in July 1930. He first appeared in print in April 1931, in Shadow Magazine, and this this radio series was, in its own sort of sense, was created to raise the profile of Detective Story Magazine, and this was all published by someone called Street and Smith, who also published, you know, the Shadow Magazine. A proper radio drama with the Shadow as a character, based on the the pulp version of Vampirian Shadow Magazine, started in September 1937, and a syndicated daily newspaper strip began on the 17th of June 1940 and ran for two years, which is quite interesting. There was also a regular Shadow comic book published by Street and Smith that ran for 101 issues between 1940 and 1949. So he had quite a long storied history running concurrently with the, the Golden Age superheroes. So he, he kind of technically predates the Golden Age heroes, which is pretty cool, but he operated at the same time. Now, Archie Comics famously in the 1960s had a superhero book called The Shadow that ran for eight issues between 1964 and 1965. And if Peter was here, he'd give us a bit more detail on that. But basically, apart from the first issue being kind of like it, Subsequent issues, he was basically just your average spandex-coloured, brightly-coloured superhero and nothing like the big-nosed, big-hatted, cloak-wearing hero of the olden days. DC Comics started publishing a comic featuring The Shadow in July 1973, so about a month or so before this issue of Batman. Not set within the DC continuity, but it ran for 12 issues up until May 1975, and issue 11 features an appearance by a character called The Avenger, who was another old pulp hero, mainly active between 1939 and 1942. We might do that issue of The Shadow. We might, we might not. Regardless, it will end up, I'm sure the cover will end up on the socials this week. Mm. DC Comics obviously published later series in the late 80s and early 90s. And Dark Horse published some series in the mid-90s. And Dynamite have had The Shadow since the 2010s. So he has a very long storied history. Steve, when did you first encounter The Shadow? (laughs) That is a great question. I believe that my first real encounter with The Shadow was the Alec Baldwin film in 1993, I think it was. And I must have been aware of the character before that. I know that I would have seen house ads for the DC series. I think DC did two different series, did they not? Yeah, I think there was a mini series and then an ongoing series and then a series called The Shadow Strikes. I don't want to bore everyone with all the <laughs> the issue numbers and publication dates for all those. But yeah, they, they, they had a couple, yeah. And the one that I remember seeing house ads for the most was the one that was like the shadow in the future. And it was like a science fiction shadow story a little bit. 
but I knew that that wasn't like the official real version of the character that people would talk about when they talked about the shadow. And when the Alec Baldwin film came out, you know, I was very excited to see it and I quite enjoyed it at the time. And it kind of created in a way for me an interest in the character that I wanted to go back and check out more. And so I started collecting cassettes of the old radio show. Oh, wow. Cool. And bought those and listened to those for, you know, there was a period of a couple of years that I was buying those and listening to those. Right. Interesting. Uh, I will say that in the end, I probably bought a lot more than I li- actually listened to. <laughs> as as we collectors are sometimes yes. known to do. Absolutely. Um, and then eventually I got rid of the cassettes because, one, I didn't have a cassette player anymore. And, two, I'm like, I'm never going to get around to listening to those. So I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll pass them along. Interesting. But I really enjoyed the radio shows that I did listen to. And I do have a great affection for the character. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk about the story today. What about you, David? When did you encounter the character? Well, uh, well, this is the thing. I think, like yourself, I remember DC House ads in the late 80s. But I don't think I, I, I certainly I haven't seen the Alec Baldwin movie. Obviously, that happened like the Rocketeer and Dick Tracy movie after the success of you know Tim Burton's Batman film. Obviously, right. Much has been said about that elsewhere. But I collected a full set of the the seventies DC Shadow comics. I collected a full set of them, mm. probably in the the late nineties, early two thousands. How many of them have I read? None. <laughs> I bought the hardcover collection that reprinted maybe the first five. I think issue seven. The Denny Neil is it Michael Kaluta stuff? You know, have I sat and read this hardcover? No. When did I buy it? About at least 15, 16 years ago. <laughs> I, you know, see the shiny hardcover and own it. That's my motto. But I've never seen the film. I haven't read, I don't think I've ever read a single Shadow story. The weird thing is, that if you look at issue one of the, the DC series from the 70s, he looks an awful lot like me <laughs> with his eyebrows and his big nose. Because I remember a couple of years ago filing some comics one night and I pulled out, you know, as I was shuffling them along, I looked at issue one of the Shadow and went, hang on. So I sent it on Snapchat to a couple of pals and close pals. I went, do you think this looks like me? And my pal Chris replied saying, I thought that was you. So amusingly, <laughs> I sent the cover as my profile picture on Facebook for a couple of days, or for maybe a week or two. And I was doing a Zoom call with an, or, or a WhatsApp video call with a friend a week or two later. And over my shoulder, this friend espied the, the picture I have, the two Lose the Trek sort of picture that I have on the wall of the, the chap with the big black hat and the red scarf, which is said to inspire Tom Baker's Doctor Who costume. <laughs> and my pal said, is that the picture that you photoshopped your face into of your profile picture? <laughs> and I was like, no, that was not my face. Because it was really, it was really quite funny. It's the angle of the eyes and the, the brows and the nose. It was like, I think Baldwin wore a prosthetic. I could have, I could play the shadow without needing a prosthetic nose, I tell you. So it's quite, it's quite terrible that literally, as Steve and I now do, Batman 253, it's the first shadow story that I've ever read. <laughs> Which is shocking. Be assured, listeners, when Peter and I do the issue of the Joker that guest starred Sherlock Holmes, my answers about that question <laughs> were much more satisfactory. <laughs> so, let's get on with it, shall we? Batman 253, beautiful cover. Steve's going to tell you all about it. Yes, starting with the logo, this is probably one of my favorite Batman logos of all time. It's the big, bold Batman typeface with uh, like the silhouette of Batman kind of coming around it and the dc logo is up in the top left 20 cents number 253 november is up in a circle on the right the background color is this rich kind of reddish brown as like a sunset and we have uh in the foreground at the bottom batman is in a rail yard and you see skyscrapers of gotham city kind of far in the in the background Batman is staring up into the sky, terrified, this great look of fear in his face as he looks up at this looming image of the shadow hovering over Gotham City, hovering over the rail yard, pointing his two guns, one in each hand, down at the Cape Crusader. And it's just very arresting. It's beautiful. And of course, there's a little caption over on the uh, left side is on the side of one of the rail cars that says, the Batman asks, who knows what evil? Only the shadow knows. So our opening splash panel, reminiscent of the cover, we have the shadow and one of his guns looming out of the fog, very symbolically over some action going on underneath. There is a full moon immediately, so take a drink, listeners. You'll be pie-eyed by the end of the story. At the very top, we get the story title, which reads, 
Who knows what evil? And a caption reads, It is the dark time at Gotham Freight Yards, when dawn is yet no more than a distant promise. A time when furtive men do furtive things, and when the Batman moves like an avenging wraith. Yes, the Batman is here this night, and so is another, the Shadow. And we see the Batman swinging in on a line over a train car, which is open, and we see three goons, one in a green jacket, one in an orange shirt, one in a purple jacket. They're lifting boxes out of this train car, putting them into the boot of an open, large car. There's a slight logo, something, it looks like I something railways, which is quite interesting. And as we say, the shadow is looming over this as if he's watching. And another caption gives us the credits for this story. From the secret annals of the Batman, as told to Denny O'Neill writer, Irv Novick and Dick Giordano artists, Julia Schwartz editor. Pete's a big fan of Irv Novick, it'd be gutted he's missing this. <laughs> so that immediately takes us to the first panel of page two. Batman has swung in on his line. He lands behind the goon in the orange shirt, wraps his legs around his neck. The goon in the orange shirt reacts, saying, The Batman! I didn't sign on a tangle with him! To which Batman says, Then you're getting a bargain. More than you asked for. Panel 2 is cracking because Batman is still hanging on to his line and his legs wrapped around this goon's neck. He lifts him up, swings him round so that he collides with one of the other goons who's wearing a green jacket. The guy in the green jacket exclaims, Yow! Panel 3... Batman kicks the gun out of the goon in the green jacket's hand, saying, You should have let the weapon be. A fast gun, you're not. In panel four, we can see that the guy in the purple jacket, who we've not seen since panel one, he's pulled his pistol out, he's trying to draw a bead, as the guy in the green jacket says, Al, shoot, before he creams me! And he dissolves into the screaming because Batman's punched him. Al then says, I got him in my sights, one squeeze of the trigger and... We're interrupted by the caption for panel five. But before the thug's finger can tighten, the flat crack of an automatic slaps the air and rips the revolver from his hand. There's a crack sound effect as we see the pistol being shot from Al's hand. Al exclaims, ah, and then he runs off. I'm getting out of here, he cries in the final panel of page two. Batman, with his cape blowing in the wind, runs after him, thinking, I have a friend someplace, a very excellent marksman-type friend. Yeah, absolutely. Helping him out, we shouldn't have gone to his son. That's brilliant. First panel of page three, we see Al legging it down an alleyway. Brilliant atmospheric artwork with the Cape Crusader following him and Batman thinking, That was the neatest bit of shooting I've ever seen. Not that I needed it. I could have been behind the car before the hood got to blasting. He's run into a blind alley. He's trapped. But then Batman comes to a halt at the end of the alley. Oh, oh we can take a drink because there's a dustbin there. <laughs> Batman looks around. Al seems to have vanished. Batman thinks, Huh? Gone? He couldn't have escaped, but he did. And a caption for panel three reads, As the crime fighter pauses, dismayed, a marrow-chilling sound reaches his ears. <laughs> Batman reacts to the echoing laughter. He looks up, thinking, <laughs> That laugh, coming from everywhere and nowhere. Gosh. So, Batman makes his way back to the motor vehicle beside the, the rail car. A slow dissolve. Then? You see Batman shining his torch into the open boot of the car, open up the boxes that the, the bad guys were transporting, and gosh, well, it appears to be full of money. Batman is thinking, The stool pigeon was right. My sparring partners were unloading counterfeit bills. Pretty neat. The phony money is smuggled into Gotham in a boxcar and removed when the coast is clear. Panel 5, Batman starts walking off from the car. We can see the unconscious goons on the ground behind him. As he takes his leave, he's thinking, The police can handle the thugs. They're probably just messenger boys. I'm after the boss, and maybe this pile of bogus bills will provide a lead to him. A slow dissolve, caption for the next panel reads. Later, in a cavern beneath a suburban mansion... We see Batman Bruce Wayne with his cowl down, looking into a microscope, examining one of the, the notes. Alfred is standing behind him, going through some other piece of the paper, it seems. Bruce Wayne is saying... It's incredible, Alfred. The engraving and the paper used in these counterfeits are good. Fine imitations of the real McCoy. But the ink is perfect. He looks away from the microscope in the final panel, saying, There's no difference between it and the stuff the government uses. Alfred is standing holding a torn, ravished torn piece of paper in his hand, and he says, Begging your pardon, Master Bruce, I found something of possible interest in the stack of misbegotten monies. Seems to be a piece torn from a map, Alfred. Precisely, sir. I beg you to note one of the roads has been traced in ink, indicating someone has made recent use of it. And we can see indeed this fragment of map. The next panel, panel 2 of page 4, if you're keeping track, Alfred continues. 
I took the liberty of consulting our chart file, sir. I believe you'll find the torn scrap matches a section of this. Hands Bruce a larger map, and Bruce says, A map of Arizona. Alfred, you're a treasure. Remind me to give you a raise. A slow dissolve. Meanwhile, in downtown Gotham, We see Al, our pal from earlier in the story, the purple jacket-wearing goon, who it seems has been handcuffed to a lamppost. He's sat on the ground, two police officers are walking towards him. The first one says, Hey, partner, you see what I see? Some dude handcuffed to the lamppost. Man, this beat gets freakier and freakier. The cops move in a bit closer to Al. They notice his eyes are wide and staring. The first policeman says, You recognize him? He's Al Grom, the missing member of the mob the Batman nailed a couple of hours ago. Check those eyes. He's either stoned or, or maybe hypnotized. Listen, he's mumbling something. We get a close-up of Al's white staring eyes, and he seems to be saying, Tumbleweed. Crossing. Tumbleweed crossing. We have another slow dissolve. A caption for the final panel of page four reads, Tumbleweed crossing. You might call the place a town. A general store, a gas station, a hotel Custer might have stayed at. Yeah, you might call it a town. Bruce Wayne isn't sure, as he alights from a bus this dusky desert evening. This is a great panel. I wish there was room for it on the socials. We see a sign reading gas, another sign saying hotel, just obviously as the, the captioning has told us. Big orange bus, and wearing a purple suit, we see Bruce Wayne stepping off out the door into this dusty conurbation. And as he does this, Bruce is thinking, The markings on the map end here. Not a very likely spot to find a counterfeiting operation. We turn the page, we pass a, a nice DC Comics subscription advert. Let's pick out a few highlights. Mr. Miracle, Supergirl, Shazam. G.I. Combat, Korak, Weird Worlds, you wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't have lasted long. From Beyond the Unknown, The Demon, The Witching Hour, Forbidden Tales of Dark Mansion. Five romance books are still being published at this point, including Falling in Love, Girls Love Stories, Young Love, Young Romance. There's also an option to subscribe to The Shadow. Mm. Gosh, there's also at the bottom of the page an advertisement for an issue of Shazam. I think that's issue seven. My goodness. I think we'll be getting back to Shazam fairly soon, actually, as the crow flies. So, first panel of page five. Bruce is standing, we get a proper look at me, a purple suit, a nice orange polo neck. I'm not sure I could pull that <laughs> off, to be honest. It says a lot about Bruce Wayne. But as Bruce is standing there, a man with kind of long, grown-in brown hair, this kind of greying moustache, wearing a white shirt, green waistcoat and brown trousers, has emerged from one of the buildings and is walking towards him. And he's saying, you're Bruce Wayne. I'm Bammy Stone from the hotel. I got your reservation. Not that you needed it. We ain't been full up since Teddy Roosevelt passed through in 1911. Hello, Mr. Stone. Or any other stranger staying with you? Funny you ask. There is a newcomer. Says he's a scientist from the state, taking water samples in the hills to the west. <laughs> Plump foolish. That water ain't fit for coyotes. It's poisoned with gunk that runs down from the mountains. Caption for the next panel. Suddenly, Bruce pauses, cocks his head, and listens to the distant thrum of engines. Yeah, we hear the brum. In the next panel, Bammy Stone starts running back towards his hotel, saying... God dang! Best have for cover, Wayne! Some nomads in the dang dune buggies! Coming to tear things up again! The roar increases in volume. You see a dust cloud on the horizon. Bruce looking towards it in a caption reading, A cloud of dust coming near, and the thrum grows to a roar. And abruptly, the sleepy hamlet is filled with desert vehicles and their howling occupants. Yeah. This almost looks like something from Wacky Races, <laughs> to my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce steps to the side of the road as about half a dozen brightly coloured dune buggies just roar into town and one of the drivers just yells Yee-hoo! which is glorious we arrive at the top of the first panel of page 6 and Bruce has ducked into an alleyway and he started putting on his Batman costume we see a couple of dune buggies roaring past outside the alleyway is that a water barrel? yeah it's a water barrel doesn't qualify for the take a drink game not to worry as Bruce pulls his cowl into position Batman is thinking funny they're howling like banshees and handling those buggies like they were indie racers. But they're doing no real damage. Obviously, the situation calls for questions. And questions are a specialty of the Batman. And with that, Batman leaps out of the alleyway and punches out the driver of the vehicle nearest him, sending him flying onto the ground. The next panel, Batman says, Okay, boyo, on your feet. I want a conversation with you. And the guy who Batman has just knocked out of his dune buggy down on the ground, look up at Bats. He wears a green shirt, purple waistcoat, purple trousers, has a thick yellow headband around his head. He looks up at Batman and says, I ain't much for words, I better at fists. He gets to his feet and starts running towards Batman with his left fist outstretched. Batman replies, 
Oh, really? I wouldn't have guessed. Judging from your technique, I'd say you don't know a fist from a popsicle. Batman punches the guy square in the stomach. Final pile of page six, Batman gives him a vicious right-handed, backhanded slap, saying, Better try talking. As a punch-out artist, you're a flop. And with an ooh, the guy in purple and green falls backwards. In the first panel of page seven, a lot of the other kids have emerged from their vehicles and they're kind of wandering towards Batman. They're all lining up. Batman makes some more fists, squares up to the lot of them, saying, Any of the rest of you sweethearts feel like a fracas? And one guy, brown hair, kind of purple shirt, says, Nah, we got you outnumbered. Uh, besides, you won fair and square. And there's another kid with a kind of yellow blonde page boy haircut, looks like crossing Commandy and Prez. He contributes, We ain't bullies, mister. Then who are you? Says Batman, phoning his arms and addressing the crowd. One guy who looks a little bit like Graham Nash, kind of a goatee beard, kind of growing in hair, wearing a nice yellow shirt with tassels, the sort of thing I would own if I hadn't gone bald. He replies, Just a bunch of, well, the fancy word is nonconformists. And there's another guy in a green shirt with a different style of headband, which we can see tied at the side, who looks very much like the keyboard player from a band I worked with at the start of December. And he's saying, (laughs) We're sick of civilization. We came to the desert for peace, to live the life we choose. So, why the ruckus? Says Bats in the next panel. And yet another one of these long-haired goons, who I think might be the first one who spoke in the first panel of this page, he says, We were paid to, is why. A guy gave us those buggies and a thousand dollars. He said if we hassled the townspeople every Tuesday, he'd pay us another thousand. And then the guy who looks like the guy from that band I worked with in December says, He came to where we were camped, in the old Indian cliff dwellings. He told us to pitch our tents to the south of Tumbleweed Crossing and wait. Can I see what he paid you with? The yellow shirt guy holds up a banknote and says, Sure, here. And the next panel, Batman takes the money and has a closer look. And then he says, As I thought, fool's gold. You've been given fool's money. I'd advise you to burn it, pronto. And he takes his leave from the June buggy drivers in the next panel, final panel of page seven. Walking off from them, he says, Be smart. Leave the county and keep going. Or else you'll find yourself in worse trouble than you can imagine. Turn the page, top of page eight. As the June buggies roar off, Batman has gone back into the alleyway. As he watches the lads drive off, he thinks, Mmm, it's beginning to make sense. Those desert rats bribed, a mysterious scientist checking local water and... Then Batman is interrupted by echoing laughter. (laughs) Batman whirls around, trying to work out where the laughter's coming from. He thinks, That laugh again, coming from behind the hotel. He starts moving down the alleyway, following the sound, thinking, Someone's running. In a few seconds, I'll catch him and... Turns a corner. And nothing, except shadows. I wonder, can it be him? Really him? The next panel, see Bruce Wayne putting his civvies back on over his, his uniform. It's great. It reminds me of the time I got a Batman costume for Christmas, I think 1978. <laughs> and the first day back at school, after the Christmas holidays, I attempted to wear it to school under my, my normal clothes. <laughs> this is what this panel was giving me flashback to. And of course, my mum spotted it immediately. was like, what are you doing? You know, you never know when Batman might be necessary. <laughs> The peak of my Batman fandom listeners was 1978, I think, because we were getting the we were getting the new Adventures of Batman cartoon at that point. <laughs> Used to be on before Doctor Who and Saturday Night. Anyway, as Bruce is getting changed, he continues to ruminate, wondering on the source of the laughter and thinking, No, he's been gone for decades. I'd better stop wishful thinking and let Bruce Wayne do a bit of snooping. A slow dissolve. Soon in the hotel dining room. We see Bammy Stone put a hand on Bruce Wayne's shoulder as he introduces him to one of, well, Someone else is in the room. This other chap, very long face, greying hair, wearing a grey jacket and a white shirt. Bammy says, Wayne, meet your fellow guest, Lamont Cranston. Bruce says, My pleasure. And shakes his hand. They sit down, the final panel of page eight. They sat down enjoying their, their evening meal. Bruce is saying, Bammy says you're a scientist studying the local streams. Yes, they're loaded with unusual mineral deposits, unique on this continent. Tiny Caption tells us we're continuing the third page following pass a full-page advertisement for a Tarzan tabloid, the gorgeous Joe Kubert cover. Fantastic. I'm not sure if I've got that one, actually. I need to have a look. We arrive at the top of page nine. Mugs in hand. Bruce continues. Tell me, could the water be used in manufacturing, oh, say, ink? Actually, it could. Are you a devotee of science, Mr. Wayne? No, just a curious busybody. Nice talking to you. Be seeing you, Mr. Cranston. And Bruce takes his leave. Cranston replies, 
You can count on it. Bruce says to Bammy Stone in the next panel. Bammy, I'd enjoy a moonlight drive. Have you a Jeep I could borrow? Nope. Well, I'll rent you one for a 20. It's a deal, says Bruce, laughing. Caption for panel four. Then? And we see Bruce getting into the green Jeep. And also we can see in front of the Jeep what looked like oil drums. Tall, thick canisters anyway. And there appears to be some kind of writing on them. I can see the letters A-V-I-A and something else. Is that so A-S-A? I don't know. A-S-O? Possible. Hmm. Bruce is thinking. The investigation is finished. The only thing left to do is go into the desert and nab myself a mob of counterfeiters. That's a bit of a narrative leap, isn't it, listeners? Or is it? The caption running out this panel reads, Bruce, Batman Wayne, seems to have cracked the case. Have you? It's like the werewolf break and the beast must die, isn't it, listeners? A slow dissolve. A caption reads, A costume change and a few miles later. Yeah, we see Batman behind the wheel of the Jeep. Fantastic. Roaring through the desert, thinking. Unlike many problems, this one was easy to solve once I'd collected the necessary information. The gang is operating in this area because the water supply is ideal for making ink. The payment to the buggy bunch was clearly a blind to get them away from the old cliff dwellings, which make for a perfect hideout. Peaceful night. Hard to believe I'm on my way to violence. This panel of page nine's a cracker because we see Batman roaring through the desert with a full moon behind him. Take a drink. But unbeknownst to Batman, we can see them clearly in the foreground of the panel. There's a couple of armed men with rifles hiding in the rocks. One guy in an orange shirt, another guy with a purple waistcoat and a white shirt, and the guy in a purple waistcoat and a white shirt, because they've spotted Batman, he says, There he is! And straight into the caption of the first panel on page 10. As if in reply to the Batman's unspoken thought, rifle shots echo. Lead bores through the Jeep's tires. There's a spang and a pew! And with a full moon looming in the background, Batman leaps from the Jeep, which overturns in the next panel. Some more shots continue as he ducks down behind the vehicle, thinking, Snipers, behind the boulder. Maybe I haven't got the problem solved. It's a good hundred yards to them, a long distance to cover while dodging bullets. The action is interrupted with the caption of the next panel that reads, However, we can see Batman looking up into the sky and silhouetted in front of a full moon. Take a drink, Caitlin Higgins. <laughs> well, Batman tells us what he sees when he thinks, Some kind of aircraft. I'd swear it's an autogyro, an early version of the helicopter. But... Those haven't been used for years. Batman takes advantage of this distraction as he moves towards the rocks and the snipers and he thinks, Whatever it is, it's saving my hide. Distracting the gunman for a few seconds. And for someone with my training and experience, a few seconds is plenty. The sniper's still firing away at the helicopter or whatever it is. Batman leaps up and knocks them out, sending their guns flying. We pass some more adverts, including one for sea monkeys, which is cool. Ooh, and then a double page spread of take any six LPs or five tapes for only 99 cents. Now I'm just going to try and see what I can spot here. There's Talking Book by Stevie Wonder. There's Days of Future Past by the Moody Blues. Isaac Hayes Live at the Sahara Tahoe. Soundtrack to Lost Horizon. Trouble Man Soundtrack by Marvin Gaye. Not bad. Oh, Lobo of a Simple Man. That could be good. Anyway, we pass the behind the scenes at the DC Comic World full page text piece, which has some stuff about the Legion, which is interesting. And we arrive at the top of page 11, finally! Where with a zap, Batman knocks out the sniper with the orange shirt, and then with a zonk, he knocks out the sniper in the purple waistcoat. He then looks up into the dark sky in the next panel, thinking, Unseen helper again, charging into the fray like the cavalry in a John Ford Western. Only, instead of a pony, he's riding a crate. Next panel, very interesting insert panel. Batman calls up into the sky, saying, Hey, you in the air, I want to thank... But he's cut off. And the Batman's call is answered by... <laughs> Autogyro's still spinning in the air in front of the full moon. Take a drink. Down on the ground, Batman looks up and thinks, That laugh. I'm chilled from cowl to boots, and not because of the wind. An old-fashioned plane, a superb marksman, and a laugh like a blizzard. Can they add up to him? No. I refuse to believe it. Anyway, I'm too busy to fret about my elusive friend. My destination is just ahead. The cliff dwellings. Yes, and Batman is now walking off. We can see he's secured the snipers with ropes around the wrist and the, the ankles. He's walking towards the big full moon. Take a drink. Caption for the first panel on page 12 reads. Cliff dwellings. Ancient homes hewn from cliff sides before white men even dreamed of the existence of America. For a fleeting instant, the Batman halts. Awed. Then... He turns to his task. Yes, there's a good shot of Batman looking up at these ancient dwellings, which look very accomplished to my eyes, to be honest. Mm. Batman is looking around. He thinks, They must have transportation. 
It's a cinch they don't walk across 20 miles of desolation. And then he looks to his right. And there it is. A small plane equipped with skis for landing in soft sand. And that's what we see. Nice purple plane, skis, etc. Fantastic. Batman starts climbing up one of the ladders that we could see in the first part of this page that lead up towards the old native structures. As he's climbing up the rungs, he's thinking, I've gotten the lay of the land, located the enemy. All that's left is to sick him. Awesome. A slow dissolve. Inside the mud and rock walls at the top of the ladder. Yes, two lads are sat at a table. One guy wearing an orange shirt with kind of dark hair. Another guy with red hair and a white shirt. They're playing cards. In the foreground, there's a man, older man, with greying, thinning grey hair, wearing a white shirt and an apron. And he's busy with some machinery. We can tell it's a printing press because, helpfully, on the table in front of him, we can see a little bottle that says, Printer's Ink. <laughs> the printer, for that is what we have named him, turns to his two pals, sat behind him and says, The boss sent the word. The bad man nabbed the boys in Gotham. Gandhi on shirt at the table replies, Tough berries to them. We're sitting pretty. Printer continues. We finish this batch, close the operation, and split for L.A., St. Louis, Mexico City. Guy in the orange examines one of the notes and says, Yeah, we got enough phony cash to live like Greek ship owners. But his musings are interrupted as Batman enters in the final panel of page 12 saying, Don't put a down payment on a yacht just yet, scum. Orange shirt whirls, cigarette falling from his mouth as he cries, The Batman! In the first panel of page 13, Batman steps forward, the vicious left-handed uppercut, he <laughs> takes out orange shirt guy saying, Yep, in person and vivid colour, and vivider knuckles. The guy sat at the table with a white shirt. He's pulled a pistol and he says, A waste of what? He's interrupted as Batman kicks at the table saying, Laddie, you have no idea how blasted often I've heard that threat. Always some creep is going to waste me, nail me, cut me, drop me. I wish someone would threaten to stub my toe. For a change. And with that, he brings a vicious slap down the back of the guy's head, almost like a karate chop, knocking him on the table flat. Batman then turns to the printer, saying, Don't feel neglected. Do your silly stunt. Dive for that Tommy gun. I'll give you a break. I'll let you get halfway there. Says Batman, referring to a gun which we can see Chekhov style leaning against the wall in the background, but the printer has lifted up a tin of something or other, and he's saying, I got a different trick in mind. I ain't a hitman. I'm a printer. I use ink. And with that, he throws the tin of gunk in Batman's face. Batman thinks, My eyes, burning like volcanoes. And I deserve the pain, the price I pay for stupid overconfidence. Batman rubbing the ink out of his face as the printer throws off his apron and legs it. And in the first panel of page 14, we see Batman emerging from the doorway of this ancient Native American structure, the full moon looming in the background. And we hear the rum of an engine. Batman rubbing his eyes still thinks, I hear the plane engine starting. Don't have a chance of catching them. And in panel two, we're inside the cockpit with the rogue printer, trying to make his escape as the captioning reads, Flushed with victory, certain of escape, the renegade printer revs the craft's motor, snaps on the running lights, and gasps, for the very darkness itself seems to thicken, congeal, and in the twin beams stands a tall figure, a silver-plated automatic in each hand. Yeah, and the headlights of the aeroplane have revealed this cloaked figure wearing a large black wide-brimmed hat, a red scarf around his face, both pistols raised. Panel four, there's the roar of the engine of the plane as it moves towards this shadowy figure. But then the next panel, with a series of bam, bam, bams, the pistols fire, which sends in the final panel of page 14, the plane tipping forward, almost head over heels. There's a massive scree sound effect. The ski's caught in something, I imagine. It tips over. In the first panel of page 15, the plane is on fire. We see the smoke coming from the barrel of the gun. In panel 2, Batman runs towards the, the aeroplane. Smoke and flames everywhere. Batman's cape casts a long shadow as he runs towards it, thinking, My vision finally cleared, but too late to see what happened. Apparently the thug fouled his takeoff. In panel 3, we see that the printer thankfully wasn't killed. We see him trying to drag himself across the sand. Batman crouches down beside him. At least he's alive. Must be delirious, he's babbling. Terrible. Came from nowhere. Long coat. Half. Staring at me. Staring holes into my skull. Batman thoughtfully looks at the printer. And then his head, he's thinking. He's describing him. Is it possible he has returned? Next panel. We don't really see what happens to the printer or the burning aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> the full moon in the background. Batman is walking away, thinking. I'll decide later. Now... I've got a 20-mile hike. The mobsters mentioned a boss. 
and there's only one person and one place he can be. The police can collect the small fry. I'll hook the big fish myself. There is a caption to round out page 15. There's a nice insert shot of Gotham City and a shot of Batman walking up to the hotel and the captioning reads, It began at dawn in Gotham City. It is destined to end at dawn in Tumbleweed Crossing. Dawn in Tumbleweed Crossing. Now, if that doesn't sound like a Bruce Springsteen album, I don't know what does. <laughs> Maybe when um, when we form a band, we'll have a song called... I'm going, to, I'm going to go and write it, listeners. As soon as we finish, I'm going to go and write that song. <laughs> That'll be the hidden bonus track in this year's end of the, the year review episode. Anyway, I know enough musicians. I could probably get this recorded. Right, first panel of page 16. Casting a long shadow, Batman has climbed to the top of some steps inside the hotel. We can see some light emanating from a closed doorway. Batman's walking towards the room, and he's thinking... Light. Coming from behind his door. Good. Mr. Cranston is awake. I won't have to wait for him to dress. He figures to be the gang's leader. Bammy said he's the only newcomer around. And he's been checking that water supply the counterfeiters use. The clincher is the aviation gas I saw outside his window last night. Useful stuff for powering the plane. I won't bother to knock. Instead, I'll give him a little surprise. That Batman elbows the door open and I love this third panel of page 16 because we see a hand obviously in the process of doing something arresting whatever it's stopping whatever it's going to be doing because it's been interrupted Batman is shocked when he enters the room to see that it's not Cranston it's Bammy and we see the hotelier his head whirls he looks at Bats shoveling papers into a, an open suitcase Bammy replies copy in the act eh fella which act did I catch you in poking through Cranston's notes seeing how much he found out about my operations. And for the point of view shot of the second last panel of page 16, we're outside the hotel room looking in, and we see the gas canister that we saw earlier on, and it's clearly now labelled Aviation Gasoline, which is, if I'm right, also a Bruce Springsteen B-side. <laughs> <laughs> Final panel of page 16, it's, we've gone over, my goodness, it's turned into The Graduate. And we get a shot of Bammy <laughs> between Batman's legs as he stands four square and centred. Batman says... You're saying you are the brain behind... Surprised? Sure. I'm an old geezer, but a geezer has done plenty of studying. Years ago, I caught into the fact there was a fortune to be had round these parts, running in them streams yonder, except I couldn't do nothing about it till a city owl who'd checked in. He got to drinking and said as how he had everything for printing money except proper ink. Me? I supplied that. He died, leaving me kingpin. You made a mistake, Bammy. Nobody's the kingpin behind bars. Oh, I ain't going to the hoose, gal. Today's your buying day, fella. And with that, Bammy pulls a pistol out of his sock by the looks of it and points it at Batman. Batman isn't too fussed. That's the sixth gun I've had aimed at me in the past 24 hours. A guy could get bored. Also dead, says Bammy. I've been toting this derringer since 1919, and I never missed with it. And off camera, there's almost a click. In panel four here, we have Chekhov's light bulb. Because in panel five, <laughs> the light bulb shatters with a ping, throwing the room into darkness. Bammy looks around the final panel of page 17 saying, Somebody shut the bulb! And that's all that Batman needs. For the first panel of page 18, he lunges forward, punches Bammy out, and then Batman thinks, Bammy will sleep while I chase my friend the marksman. Unless I learn if he's really who I think he is, I'll go nuts. He's crouched outside the window. And indeed, we see the vague hint of a shadow of someone wearing a big hat and a cape. Batman leaps forward with a crash in panel three. He breaks through the glass, thinking, I won't let him melt away. He's vanished. Yes, Batman realises that there's no one there. He lands on the ground in the final panel of page 18, thinking, He dissolved in my grasp. <laughs> and the echoing laughter happens once again as we see what looks like the shadow of the figure that was outside the window fading away. Batman's thoughts continue. He's gone leaving me the memory of his penetrating laugh. Uh, and a note. Yes, we see that note has been pinned to the wall with a knife. In a panel two, Batman has secured the note, and we can read it. It says, Batman, should you care to renew our acquaintance, be at the Gotham Freight Yards tomorrow. I trust you can deduce the hour. Yours faithfully, Cranston. Well, that's interesting. A slow dissolve. Caption for the next panel. The dark time in Gotham City, when dawn is no more than a distant promise. Dawn is no more than a distant promise, of course, was an unreleased collaboration between Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks, recorded in 1981. 
This is great because we're on the second last page of the story and we're basically reaching the cover, <laughs> which is terrific. <laughs> a full moon looms in the background as Batman perches on a rail car, thinking, Not a soul in sight. Apparently, he isn't able to keep our appointment. <laughs> Batman whirls and sees the silhouette of someone wearing a large hat, a large cape, who has a large nose, peering on one of the box cars behind him. Batman exclaims, You! You're called... The Shadow. I promised we'd meet again. I have a hundred questions to ask. Such as, was it I who captured the criminal you were pursuing two mornings past? This final panel is a close-up with the steely eyes and the big conch poking out from behind the red scarf of Batman's ally, who continues, Yes, I employed hypnotic lore to probe his subconscious. His information led me to Tumbleweed Crossing, where we met. First panel of page 20, Batman says, Why? I was curious. I wish to determine if you deserve your splendid reputation. I am happy to state you fulfilled my greatest expectations. I consider that a magnificent compliment. I've never told anyone this, but you were my biggest inspiration. I'd be honored to shake your hand. The honor is mine, says the shadow, and with that, they shake hands. The shadow starts to move off in panel four. Batman calls after him. No, don't leave. The world needs you. Will you help? Will you come out of retirement? That only the shadow knows, replies the dark caped figure who vanishes with his echoing <laughs> laughter floating behind him. A small caption reads, The End, but another caption rounds out the whole thing saying, Now. See the mysterious slouch-hatted crime fighter clash with the fiendish Harlequin as he strives to solve the freak show murders in his own magazine on sale in mid-September. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow knows. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, there we are. I like how it ended the plug. That was tremendous. <laughs> well, as we always say at this point, or as I always say, thoughts? Yeah, I really, I really dig this story. It's, um, you know, it's a very straightforward mystery, and I have to love actually the fact that Batman gets it wrong. Yes, Batman assumes the only other person that he's met must be the guy who is in charge of it all, the the boss, mm. and it turns out to be somebody he didn't suspect. So I like that Batman ends up kind of off-footed in a way and, and gets it wrong. Yeah, obviously Cranston as the newcomer is the is the obvious suspect, and this is the the thing we should probably explain because the story doesn't really point it out. But Lamont Cranston is the shadow, <laughs> <laughs> and I only know this because I, I did my researches and stuff. If you didn't know that, the story doesn't spell it out, which is interesting. Yeah, I think the story definitely assumes that we know that, and yes. Batman doesn't. Yeah, but the story also doesn't make sure we know that. It's like yeah. it's a a special Easter egg for long-term fans that are going to get that. Yeah. But yeah, I can imagine like a lot of little kids reading this and not knowing that and being like, so, so who was Cranston? And, yeah. and so that note being signed Cranston is then the reveal for them. Yeah. Even at that, it's still not completely clear, you know, because it's, yeah. it's still, you know, we don't, it's not a point where we see, for example, Cranston putting on his big hat or however it is he would, change it in the costume. But I like how as far as Batman's concerned, it's sort of he just gets glimpses, you know, the laughter builds up. He can't see him up in the, the helicopter. We see him but only from behind taking out the airplane and then Batman sees the you know the familiar shadow through the through the window. You know, we know ultimately that they're they're probably gonna meet because the shadow's on the cover. There's no way they would do the whole story without <laughs> them meeting at some point. And it's great. I mean it's it's quite the conversation is quite postmodern in a way. It's almost like when Matt Smith has a scene opposite Tom Baker at the end of the day of the Doctor, when <laughs> Batman acknowledges and defers to this great person or this great crime fighter or this antecedent who's gone before him. You know, it's it's really quite interesting, and it's it's a nice kind of cross promotional plug for the Shadows series that was going on at this point. I'm not sure if I try to say that the Shadows adventures were taking place within the DC universe. It's nice to see Batman just being so utterly cap-in-hand deferring to this other crime fighter, isn't it? Yeah, it it certainly does make it feel like the Shadow was an Earth-1 legend. Well, yeah. It makes me think of, like, Buffalo Bill or, you know, the, like, the Western stars that they were written about in pulp magazines 
but they were written in a way that it's kind of fictionalized, but it's based on a real person, a real historical person. Yeah. And so it seems like The Shadow might be like that. Like Bruce Wayne read The Adventures of the Shadow. Yeah. And it turns out The Shadow was a real dude. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it because he says, you are my biggest inspiration. That's putting a nail on the head, obviously. So, you know, obviously I alluded <laughs> to Wesley Dodds and Lee Travis earlier, but obviously The Shadow is a massive influence on Batman as well. I mean, Batman for years had, you know, had a, a comic called The Shadow of the Batman, you know, the, or The Shadow of the Bat, whichever it was. That's an interesting point because obviously this is the contemporary present day Batman. Mm-hmm. The conceit that we run with is that the, the, the present day contemporary Batman is the Batman of Earth One. So you're, you're right. I mean, did Batman read Adventures of the Shadow or did he, or did the Shadow operate on Earth One back in the day? As I've already established, at this point in the continuity, it seems that Sargon the Sorcerer, the Vigilante and the Guardian and the Newsboy Legion were all on Earth One. So it's nice to think of them all avoiding <laughs> each other in the streets of New York at some point. <laughs> no, it's, that's interesting because, you know, it's from a multiverse point of view, it's suggesting that at the very least there is the Shadow either operated on Earth One or there was a version of him you know, where you could read his stories on Earth One. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I really liked the artwork in this. It was really dynamic. It didn't slow down for a second. It's a really fun, exciting, visceral read. And I suppose, you know, you can look back at that panel on page nine and you can see that it said, clearly it says aviation gas. The thing that I, that I found with this one, with all the Batman stories we've done recently, they've really just been Brave and the Bold stories. And this could almost, this could have been an issue of Brave and the Bold. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a team up. And everyone that we've done recently has been Batman has not been in Gotham. He's been somewhere else having an adventure. I would love us to be able to show to be able to do a, a Batman in Gotham story because you know he's going to be along and braving the bold again quite soon with Wildcat. And I'm looking forward to, to reading that one and finding out where it takes place. <laughs> yeah, we're in we're in Tumbleweed Crossing, Arizona, and but they they make it sound a couple of different times like it's not that far from Gotham City like yeah. I'll see you I'll see you back in Gotham in like half an hour yes. like wait <laughs> yeah is Gotham City in Arizona like <laughs> Phoenix adjacent exactly I mean presumably <laughs> Batman had to walk from the desert all the way back to Tumbleweed Crossing and then presumably he's gonna have to get Bammy Stone dealt with or at least tied up get local law enforcement involved and then somehow get changed back to Bruce Wayne without anyone noticing and then get the next bus the next morning <laughs> out of Tumbleweed Crossing. I mean, they kind of say that Gotham City's on the East Coast, doesn't it? Sort of in a New York equivalent type sort of space. I mean, yeah, yeah. how far away is Arizona from the East Coast? Very. Could you do it in less than 24 hours? Um, if you're Batman and you own a private plane, <laughs> you know, Bruce Wayne probably could without a problem. But me? No way. Not And especially not by bus. <laughs> no. That's a couple days trip yeah. by bus, honestly. Yeah. Arizona is way over almost next to California. Sure. So it's, yeah. it's way over on the on the West Coast. And that's far. There's one thing I liked. Where are we? Page, page 12, when the printer makes reference to St. Louis, spelt phonetically L-O-O-I-E. <laughs> that was quite amusing because... As a British person, as a Scot, you know, we're never sure if it's St. Louis or St. Louis. Is it the St. Louis Blues? Is it the St. Louis Blues? Is it Meet Me in St. Louis? Meet Me in St. Louis? I only know it's Meet Me in St. Louis because I've, heard, I've seen some of the film. <laughs> you know, That was a fun bit. And Denny O'Neill is from St. Louis yeah. originally. And yeah. so that's that's probably why he threw in that, that reference. And as a St. Louis and myself, yeah. I'm like, yeah, get that St. Louis reference in there. Yeah, we'll we'll take all your counterfeit money. Bring it, <laughs> bring it here to St. Louis. <laughs> Excellent. Steve's just kidding, listeners. By the way, <laughs> no, I liked this one. It rattled along at great at a great pace. It was a fun introduction to the character. You know, you got you got a, a character, the shadow. I mean, because you got the sense that he's slightly supernatural, and as you know, because he vanishes and reappears, and his his laughter can be heard echoing without any sign of him being anywhere nearby. I'm intrigued after this. I might. I mean, I've dug them out so I can post the photographs on the socials. I've dug out my copies of the the 70s run. This might intrigue me enough to read them. (laughs) And of course, The Shadow appears in another issue of Batman in about six issues time, and we're planning to do that one. So stay tuned for that one. You know, I was complaining it wasn't set in Gotham City, but it was a good story for Batman. He got, you know, had some good fights. He got to be, you know, got to do some detective work. He got to be the Cape Crusader. I enjoyed it. I was amused by the the hippie interlude. Yeah, and it was it's gritty, it's visceral. You really, really feel the action going. About the only thing in it that pulls me out of it, apart from the hippies that you just mentioned, you know, little comedy seventies hippies. Yeah, 
is the last panel of page 14 when the shadow shoots at the plane and <laughs> the plane tips over frontwards in a way that is very cartoonish. Yeah. <laughs> Up until that point, I'm like, ah, I love it. And then I'm kind of like, what? Well, all right, just move on. We'll, <laughs> we'll ignore that. Yeah. I mean, it must have been going at some speed to have tipped over like that. And presumably it must have turned to the side and over tipped over or the, the ground could have been maybe one of the skis broke off or something. It's <laughs> it's maybe the only part I think where the the artwork falls down, but it's Yeah. It's it's very good. It, it didn't it wasn't really until we were reading it through for the for the benefits of the show that I noticed how jarring that actually was. <laughs> it's pretty poor. Yeah. But yes, apart from that, I think it's great. Listeners, we're now going to jump forward a couple of issues to do the correspondence that dealt with this issue. We'll be reading from Batman 255, which is that 100-page issue with the Neil Adams werewolf story, which costs a bally fortune nowadays. Obviously, I've had my copy since the early mid-90s. I think I read this at the time. There's some good stuff in it. It's a reprint of an old Crazy Quilt story. There's the story about Batman's dad being Batman before Bruce Wayne. Mm. Plenty of bang for your buck. Gotta love the 100 pages. There's two pages of letters in this issue. The first one deals with issue 252, but there's a second one labelled Extra Letters to the Batman, which is a masthead which shows... I'll hold this up for the benefit of our YouTube viewers, hmm. which shows Batman and the Shadow at the top. Ooh. Using a piece of art for the Shadow that was used in one of the contemporary house ads, I'm going to put lots of contemporary house ads for the Shadow DC stuff up on the socials while this episode's out, listeners, so stay tuned. But there's a few letters dealing with 253, and the first one goes like this. Dear Editor... The mailman just delivered Batman 253 in a somewhat wrinkled condition. It took much smoothing and flattening before I could get the full effect of that beautiful Kaluta cover. A cover greatly enhanced by an unsurpassable colouring job. I would agree with that. The cover's gorgeous. Yeah. I expected to enjoy the inside story as much as the cover, but I didn't. Mm. I liked it much better. With the many comics with an X, mm. stories I've read so far this year, who knows what evil is my favourite? With characters like the Batman in the Shadow, how could it be less? Without those denzines of the night, Denny O'Neill's plot would have had trouble going 10, much less 20 pages. With them, it became a masterpiece. Interesting the way the shadow permeated the story, even though he didn't make a visual appearance till page 14. Denny handled everything perfectly. What else can I say? The art, while not as unquestionably great as the script, was still good. Novik draws the Batman well, and Giordano is the best at bat inking. In the few pages where we actually saw the shadow, they portrayed him in excellent fashion. In conclusion, this issue and number 251 were so good I suggest you drop Robin and feature all novel-length Batman stories. You might argue that the yarns featuring the Joker and the Shadow were something special. Well, why can't every issue be a special one? And that letter is from Paul D. M. Rath, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. W-I-S, that's Wisconsin, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. It's great, because Steve's here I can ask him these things. (laughs) (laughs) Editorial response really just addresses what Paul was saying about Robin and featuring Batman and just goes on to talk about how much better value the 100 pages are and the variety that they'll give. Nothing really about the response to what he says about the Batman and Shadow story. So the next letter goes like this. Dear Editor, Batman 253 served as an interesting introduction of the Shadow to Batman, but it was not particularly well handled. Perhaps the prime reason was the lack of the proper mysterious mood until the last few pages. The setting was suitable for a tale of this type, although it wasn't the best. Even more important in the establishment of a certain mood are the characters. Batman was merely a commonplace detective, and even the Shadow seemed to lack something. I like to think that the Batman does not talk much at all when in costume, especially not in the middle of a fight. Witness pages 6 and pages 13. Between blows, our hero is babbling about his fighting skill or his opponent's lack. It's hard to believe that while skillfully dodging and punching, Batman is able to carry on a conversation all in the two seconds the battle lasts. Annoying in an ordinary comic, it was awful here. All in all, I suppose it was not bad, but I had expected better. Oh, before I go, remind your artist that not only are full moons much less frequent than portrayed in this mag, (laughs) they are also smaller in size. (laughs) And that's from Mark Davis, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, another Wisconsin. My gosh, I wonder if they knew each other. (laughs) And I will say... I got to agree with him a little bit that some of the Batman quipping during the fight scenes, I'm like, that's a more of Spider-Man trait than it is a Batman trait. But it didn't jar me near as much and it didn't bother me at all. I'm just like, ah, all right. No, it's quirk of the story. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like the story might have been a bit quicker and faster read if, you know, 
you didn't really need his running commentary as it, as it went on. Just a, a quick, probably would have been enough. It's, maybe dates it a little, actually. Yeah. Editorial response then to Mark's letter is, and before we go to Moon over the fit of depression this letter of comment has left us in, we remind you, as editors before us have many times in the past, that seemingly implausibly wordy dialogue in protracted fight sequences is a long-standing convention of comics with an X magazines, a device employing our own brand of artistic license, if you will. For the concluding comments on the Batman Shadow team-up, we turn to the next correspondent, and someplace other than Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> it's interesting, though, that actually that dialogue whilst fighting, because it gets to epidemic proportion and completely unrealistic stages. By the time we get to All-Star Squadron, that's one of the main reasons, you know, Pete and I have decided ages ago when we get to All-Star Squadron, we're not going to do full reads of it, because it'll be impossible. The amount of dialogue that... There's, there's, I remember reading a, a review in one issue of Comics Journal, where it takes one page of All-Star Squadron and just rips it to bits for the sheer amount of dialogue that's <laughs> taking place as the Shining Knight parries and fights, you know, like a couple of straight strokes with his sword, you know, it's just unbelievable. Anyway, so the final letter reads, Dear Editor, well, it looks as though we have another Batman recruit, and I think issue 253 may be the reason why. While I was at my favourite drugstore buying the new comics with an X for that week, I came across the new issue of Batman. I quickly dropped my other comics with an X and yanked it out. <laughs> what? <laughs> I hope he means the issue of Batman, for crying out loud. Already freaked out by the fantastic cover by Mike Kaluta, who ranks up there with Neil Adams and Bernie Wrightson, and the first issue of The Shadow, I didn't care who the artist or writer was inside. But what the heck, I checked anyway. Denny O'Neill. Now, if there's anyone who can write excellent stories, it's got to be Denny. The story was great. It kept me in the dark till the end, and that's the way I like it. On page nine, when you wrote Bruce, Batman Wayne seems to have cracked the case, have you? I was thinking, no way! And that proves I'll never be a Batman, or a Shadow for that matter. Bringing the Shadow into Batman's mag was pure genius. He made the issue rank up there with some of the greatest mystery stories I know of. I thought it was kind of funny to see the Shadow, so cool and calm, while the Batman was telling him how great he was, and how he was his greatest inspiration. And nervously at that, was this written by a 14-year-old girl? <laughs> and when the Batman asked him if he could shake his hand and the Shadow said, the honour is mine, he must have thought, this guy thinks that the honour is his? And speaking of the Shadow coming out of retirement, all I can say is that Batman was right when he said, the world needs you. Indeed it does, Shadow. Indeed it does. And that breathless letter is from Lee Lumsden, Seattle, Washington. And the editorial response is... The generally enthusiastic response to Batman 253 implies the unasked question, will the Batman meet up with the Shadow again? The answer to that, we fear, is something that is less a matter of only the Shadow knowing as much as editor Julius Schwartz. And if he knows, he certainly isn't telling. And that was from editor Marty Pasco. Excellent. So, listeners, what did you think of Batman 253? Write in and let us know, or let us know in the socials. That'd be cool. If you want to email us, you can email us at the earth2podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook and Instagram, we are the earth2podcast. On X, formerly known as Twitter, we are still podcast underscore earth2. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoy every time you ask me to, to do this, and I, I think it's always a great treat for my daughter, Caitlin, who is <laughs> one of the Earth 2 Podcast's biggest fans, <laughs> to suddenly be surprised and get to hear my voice coming out of the, uh, <laughs> coming out of the, the radio and in our cars when we always listen, um, in our car on the way to school. Awesome. Uh, every morning. So Caitlin, hi. So yeah. Hi, Caitlin. <laughs> Have a great day at school. Yeah, I know you're doing very well at school, Caitlin. Keep it up. God bless you. We're, we're going to get you to do a voice at some point, Caitlin. Don't you worry. <laughs> Steve has helped us out this week. And as I said at the top, he's already recorded another episode, which will probably be out in about a month or so as the crow flies. So watch out for that one. Spoilers. Um, we're not going to tell you exactly when it is, Caitlin. So will it be this week? Will it be next week? I'll have to wait and see. I'm hoping that Peter will be up to full strength and be back for the next episode. We'll have to wait and see. Will he be back in full spirit or will I have to secure the services of another David Bradley or Richard Hundal or, or Jimmy Nickel to extend <laughs> it to the Beatles? Steve, thank you so much. I love you, man. Thank you for helping me out. So it's, it's always good to have you on. And it's just, it's just nice because we get to hang out for a couple of hours and chat and talk about comics and it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, please check out the socials. I've accumulated a fair bit of bonus material to stick up there. There'll be the usual panel highlights, but also I've got quite a few foreign shadow reprints to hurl at you. They'll be there as well as some house ads and some other DC bits and bobs. So check those out if you can. If you're feeling generous, you go to wherever it is you receive your podcasts and 
Leave us a review. Tell us what you think of Steve as a, as a guest presenter. <laughs> do you want him here permanently? <laughs> can Peter just retire and just do the editing? Who can say? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, we want Peter back. I miss him. We haven't done one. We haven't, Pete and I haven't actually recorded a story gone about seven or eight weeks at this point. It's horrendous. Anyway, on that bombshell, I've been David. And I've been Steve. And we'll see you very soon on... The Earth 2 Podcast! Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Yeah, we got enough phony cash to live like Greek... <laughs> the Greek ship owners Greek supported ship owners. menswear okay. at the Bristol Fleece and Farkin in 1996. Um, right, okay. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want to try that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I honestly, I didn't. I'm like, shipp- Shipowners? What's a Shipowner? <laughs> the Shipowners. Oh, yeah. We did them at SWG3 about three months ago. <laughs> is, that, is that some Greek thing that I'm unfamiliar with? The Shipowners? <laughs> a Greek Shipowner. Amazing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, amazing. That's great. Sorry, Pete. And as he goes, I'm going to sing um, Dawn in Tumbleweed Crossing Brings our story to the close Batman has finished And where did Shadow go? Well, only <laughs> the Shadow knows That was very good. Did you just make that up on the spot? <laughs> yes, I did. Excellent. Steve will be touring America <laughs> very soon. <laughs>